0: Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from legal innovators. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Practice Boomers, Practice Viewer, and Practice Pipeline, the leading business development pipeline management tool for law firms. Hello, and welcome back to the Market Leaders Podcast. I'm David Ackert, and today I'm joined by Chris Newman, who's the Director of Practice and Industry Business Development at McDermott, Will & Emery. Chris, great to have you with us.
1: Thanks, David. I appreciate you having me on
0: today. So tell us a little bit about your background and your firm.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I'm one of the individuals that had read one too many John Grisham books as a kid and had the predestined path of wanting to become a lawyer. Fortunately, for my own uh, benefit, I uh, stumbled on a position out of college at Kerbath. I had a great opportunity there to work with some of the brightest and, and best litigation attorneys in the world. But from that experience, it became very apparent to me that I did not want to practice law and was fortunate enough to have someone like Deborah Farone give me an opportunity to start up the business development function at Cravath, focusing very much on litigation, which is where my passion was. From there, I uh, had a great several years running business development from that point of view. I then took those experiences to uh, Ropes & Gray in Boston, where I spent a little bit of time there and then moved on to Cooley, where I was really afforded the opportunity to not only grow and build out a powerhouse practice for IP as well as litigation, but to get exposure to some very innovative and cutting edge approaches to business development, which really drove my passion behind what I do day in and day out and, and hope to inspire my teams to do. That flexibility gave me a lot of chances to uh, experiment and try different tactics with winning client work. And so when I was uh, given the opportunity to come to McDermott, a firm that for more than 80 years has had one of the you know, more prestigious brand names in the, in the legal space, was working with an operation that had maybe not as invested as much as other firms in business development function as well as marketing function and was really looking to reinvent how it went to market McDermott is a firm that has a, a tremendous history. It's got a, a, a tremendous caliber of attorneys here in terms of both depth and experience. And I think what was you know, really exciting about this opportunity and what has led to a, a really profound 18 months of being at McDermott is coming at business development and marketing from a much savvier and much more sophisticated point of view with a lot more discipline and, and foundational principles that drive the behaviors that we're aiming to get with the attorneys as well as other folks that we do have some of the business development responsibilities with. McDermott is a firm that is very much engaged in business development and marketing. Um, It is focused on being innovative in this hyper-competitive marketplace. We have a a new managing partner that took over in uh, in January 2017 that really is forward-thinking with his business development activities. Very much uh, focused on metrics, ROI, looking for ways to actually see the success of the investments going into these different departments as well as resources, as well as not being afraid to take risks and chances on strategies that really will separate us from the pack as McDermott looks to reestablish itself as, as truly one of the best legal services operations available to clients.
0: Well, thanks for giving us a little bit of a sense of your background and what you've been up to at the firm. I have to say your pedigree is impressive. You have listed a lot of really well-known and well-respected, well-regarded law firms as part of your CV. And it's exciting to hear that your evolution in business development has just gotten more and more uh, sophisticated as you've found these various platforms to explore different techniques. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about some of the techniques that you're using at McDermott. But before we go there, I want to unpack something that you just said in terms of the emphasis at your current firm on tracking business development and really looking for the ROI. Now, obviously, we can measure activity to the extent that our lawyers will cooperate in tracking that activity, and we can certainly measure Revenue, but what else have you found to be kind of a key component in making for an effective initiative when it comes to tracking BD and ultimately pointing to an ROI?
1: It really is looking at it from a, a variety of different uh, you know channels. I think primarily you know when you look at where McDermott has been able to establish itself as a differentiated uh, characteristic it's really on the thought leadership side. McDermott has prided itself on pulling off some very well respected high profile industry events and you know that was very much a part of the business development strategy prior to the reworking of our uh, department as well as new leadership coming on i think the biggest objective from day 1 was trying to figure out how do we commercialize our events how do we find ways to actually translate this thought leadership this collection of individuals being brought together for, for very savvy business reasons. How do we make sure that we are um, you know following the path of where the opportunities go from the inception point all the way through the potential closing of the business deal? To get that activity going, we've put in a, a fairly sophisticated playbook. A lot of that does stem from uh, looking at the events prior to the event um, and trying to preset some of the activities so that we have better leverage points to actually go back and say, okay, this is, uh, revenue that we can associate back to this meeting or this interaction or this event um, so we really have fine-tuned that with a with a distinct playbook we figured out ways to take that thought leadership and, and really now looking for ways to uh, repackage it or, or, or get longer shelf life from it so that mm-hmm. it's not just living in a you know a, a, a one or two day, forum or symposium, but it's more, okay, this came out of it as a great um, opportunity to share more broadly with clients or more in a segmented, targeted way. And I think what we've done, you know, coming through this uh, commercialization process is not only, you know, how do we fine tune the the pre and the post uh, follow-up, but also, you know, how do we make sure that we're taking what we're teaching our clients and prospects at these very well attended events, you know, four or five hundred people, and making sure that it's it's getting out to the broader audience. To me, that's where a lot of clients turn to McDermott is that thought leadership. I think another investment that the firm has committed to is bringing in technology to drive a lot of this tracking, a lot of this real time reporting. We have uh, invested in a uh, very powerful CRM system. But something that is much, much deeper than just CRM, but something that becomes a comprehensive reporting system that we are, you know, fine tuning and looking into on a daily basis so that it's not just, you know, we wrap up an event and we move on to the next thing. It's really following it through the pipeline. Um, We've come up with distinct expectations for how an opportunity should unfold. So, you know, looking at it from a different stages and making sure that it's actually progressing through those different stages. Um, so it, a lot of it is coming at it from a much more disciplined uh, approach, but I think also not being afraid to assign numerical values to certain aspects of what we're trying to do. If you look at something like a, what Bain Capital has done with a net promoter score, an NPS score, and trying to build on something like that where it becomes much deeper in terms of understanding the ROI from the event, but also what the actual numbers are telling us for beyond just the revenue and things that are much more measurable in a sense of dollars and and, and cents.
0: Got it. So let's talk a little bit about the specific approach to business development that you've been taking at the firm. I understand you've been using a technique called the challenger sale. Tell me a little about that.
1: So we, uh, McDermott, had a CBDO come in, Rory Channer, who uh, for a number of years had worked at CEB. CEB, while he was there, uh, Rory had a chance to work with an individual by the name of Matt Dixon, who co-authored a, a book called The Challenger Sale while at CEB. And really what was decided on through this book after really looking at a variety of different sales professionals post-economic recession was really the classifications of you know, different sales types personalities, trying to figure out which of those personalities or which of those sales types are most successful. There were roughly about five different categories that a salesperson would typically fall within. Um, so it could have ranged from the lone wolf to the challenger, to the relationship builder, to the problem solver, and then finally the hard worker. Um, a lot of people have this, this preconceived understanding that uh, relationship builders are what they assume are gonna be the most successful when it comes to sales. But what this book disproved was that, in fact, the relationship builders were not the ones who were finishing first in terms of not only being able to maintain sales levels that were consistent pre-economic recession, but also being able to actually surpass some of those sales targets because they were that successful with how they were doing it. What ultimately came to, to be found out was that the challengers, the folks that would go in and really offer up a different view of the world or a different understanding of an industry and push the customer to think about a situation differently or think about an issue differently, that really was central to what the, the Challenger Sale book was was raising, was that if you can go in and lead through things like insight as well as you know around the corner thinking for clients and prospects, it often can lead into opportunities that the client themselves may not recognize until it's actually discussed. And so a lot of the thinking here is to go in and debate or to, quote, unquote, challenge your customers thinking that you ultimately have solutions that they don't have that we can provide proactively because we have such a pulse on either an industry or a company type or some other kind of criteria that allows us to fine tune our understanding of the services that we can provide. A lot of it is very focused, you know, targeted, knowing your business type of situational selling that often will put the challenger salesperson in a much stronger position to close the actual transaction. Um, a lot of this, you know, it does like most sales situations. It does, uh, you know, progress through a typical sales cycle. But a lot of it is starting the inception point of creating the opportunity by introducing a concept or a problem or an issue that needs to be solved for um, proactively and without necessarily having the client or the prospect raise it.
0: makes a lot of sense. I think that uh, your comment is absolutely accurate, that intuitively we think it's the relationship builders who are ultimately going to be the most effective rainmakers. but. While their skill set could be useful for opening the door, uh, they're ultimately only going to end up on a list of lawyers that the prospect likes. So yeah, I like that guy or I like that lady. She's great. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to hire you, especially in a competitive environment where they have so many options. So pre-recession, if they liked you and you were competent, you, you were probably one of the few lawyers they knew who did what you did. And so, boom, you got the work. But in today's environment, it really takes being able to elevate the conversation to that next level. And as you're characterizing it, that's the challenger sale level.
1: What's interesting about the the challenger sale approach is Even if you are not necessarily the incumbent counsel, you can still go in there and raise enough of a potential need that you could be hired for that particular service, even if there is institutionalized relationships that have been previously um, interpreted as difficult to penetrate. If you're savvy enough around business solutions, you should be able to get your potential customer to see the benefit of using you. Um, and that's where a lot of our, our sales training has been focusing on is, is really using that insight, going back to what I mentioned to you about thought leadership that then allows us to be um, you know, much more forward thinking with our clients.
0: The pieces are starting to fit together now, Chris. I understand why the strategy emphasizes thought leadership. That's a way of teeing up the challenger conversation. And of course, you're training your lawyers to follow through on the interest that they've piqued through their thought leadership by weaving that into a dialogue with the prospective client. How do you convert a workhorse or a relationship builder into a challenger? It sounds like you've got a lot of business development training at the firm that is helping lawyers internalize the quality of the challenger. Is it possible for them to change their stripes, as it were?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's a really good question. I think our thinking has evolved over time on on can everyone be a, a challenger salesperson or or can everyone be a rainmaker? One of the things that we've dissected pretty closely here is, you know, how do lawyers sell? How do lawyers engage with clients? There is a certain population that is very comfortable with this, and when they hear the trainings that go into the challenger sales principle, it immediately resonates with them and immediately drives them to, um, you know, creatively think about ways they can leverage that training. I think there are other folks that, you know, when, on the opposite end of the spectrum that are much more comfortable practicing. I don't think the objective there is necessarily. Necessarily to turn those into challenger uh, you know, salespeople, but more so how do you leverage what they're doing? How do you leverage their knowledge and, and put it in the hands of folks that can drive that conversation to lead to a new uh, business opportunity? A lot of what our attorneys are focused on right now is what is the voice of the client telling us? What is, you know, what is the information that we need to be focusing on um, that will allow us to lead with the insight but then also figure out what are some of the um, behaviors and experiences that really do drive that um, overall client experience. Um, and I think when you look at the challenger sales principles, it does overlap with the with the client experience and ultimately what's being d- designed for, you know, for that element of working with McDermott or other firms that might employ a similar tactic.
0: Well, it's really interesting what you're doing. And I have to say, I applaud your strategic thoughtful, and well-synthesized approach to it. Uh, I can only imagine that uh, you've seen uh, some significant success and that you'll continue to as you apply the challenger sale and the thought leadership approach to tee up these opportunities. It's great to hear what you're up to at McDermott. And thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today, Chris. I Really appreciate it.
1: Anytime, David. Appreciate it. And thanks again for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to the Market Leaders Podcast. For more business development resources, visit ackertinc.com.